because it's a really extreme measure that they've gone straight to. Countdown to a SkyTrain strike. Why the company says it could backfire and why commuters won't be able to count on more buses. Plus, a new and shocking twist in the murder of an international student. The only suspect in the case was her husband, And Nothing says Christmas in Nanaimo quite like a home invasion of a 71-year-old woman. A family's home is ransacked by thieves a year after they helped victims of the same crime. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. With a strike deadline looming, it's coming down to the wire for Metro Vancouver commuters. The two sides have been meeting all weekend, but SkyTrain workers are threatening a full system shutdown Tuesday morning if a deal isn't reached by then. Our Grace Key joins us live at the Lake City SkyTrain station. Grace, I understand the union isn't happy with what the employer had to say today. Yeah, late this afternoon, they did send out a release saying that they weren't going to be making any statements. And it was in reference to some uh, comments that a TransLink spokesperson did make earlier today. So the union uh, referring to those comments as inaccurate statements and uh, saying that it was incendiary language. So the talks did begin at about noon today. Now, the good news is that these talks are still going on at this hour and there's no set time yet for them to end. Despite ongoing negotiations over the weekend, SkyTrain workers and their BC Rapid Transit company have still not come to an agreement. And that means there's only one more day of talks before the Expo and Millennium Lines come to a complete halt for three days beginning 5 a.m. Tuesday. QP7000 released a statement reading... Our focus remains getting an agreement as the number one priority. We remain committed to negotiating for a new contract at the bargaining table and reaching a deal with no disruption of service. TransLink is saying the union is using the 150,000 people who take the lines each weekday as pawns. The union say it's not starting with an overtime ban as the bus drivers did because of safety concerns. If we did that overtime ban, it would re- greatly reduce the staff. And if something were to happen, if an emergency were to happen, we would be putting our passengers at risk and our own staff at risk. Why not do one day? Why not do a stoppage for an hour at lunchtime? I mean, that's not going to uh, compromise safety. That's a nonsense argument uh, that they're putting forward. And so they need to be called out on that. Uh, They've hit the nuclear button. They've gone with a very extreme measure of job action. Bus passengers are being advised to give themselves extra time to travel if the three-day shutdown goes through. TransLink saying its options are limited. We cannot implement bus bridges to replace the Expo and Millennium lines, given labour laws. Uh, so we are looking at contingency options and suggestions for people to see what can be done. But realistically, there's very limited options. The union issued the 72-hour strike notice after four full days of mediation and more than 40 days of direct bargaining. Wages, forced overtime and staffing levels continue to be some of the key issues. The strike is coming at a time when many post-secondary students are taking finals. And a lot of those post-secondary institutions are saying that exams are going to be going on as scheduled. We, of course, will be letting you know when these talks are going to be ending tonight and when they're scheduled to be going on, hopefully for tomorrow. Colleen? All right. Thanks for that, Grace. 
We are learning more about an apparent murder-suicide in Surrey last month that claimed the life of a 21-year-old international student. We spoke with Prabhleen Matharu's father, who arrived from India to recover his daughter's body. As Julia Foy reports, he's now revealed new information, details that deepen the mystery surrounding the tragic story of two lives lost too soon. She is very happy on this marriage. Gurdal Singh Matharu says his 21-year-old daughter, Prabhleen, was excited about a future with her new husband, 18-year-old Peter. They were planning to move to a new basement in a new house on 1st of December. They bought a new car jointly. Matharu says the couple were married in Calgary on August 31st. But less than three months later, on November 21st, the romance came to a tragic end. Police discovered the bodies of Prabhleen, an international student from India, and a young man inside the Surrey home. The integrated homicide investigation team deemed it a murder-suicide. Research by Langara faculty member Erica Buller and Global News confirmed the identity of the man as Peter Bierman, who was raised in Langley. Police is saying Peter murdered his daughter first. He fired three shots on her. Then he killed himself. Police also told the Mathuru family that Bierman owned an arms license and purchased a gun on the day of the murder. He said he want more he need police should do more investigation and they should check their laptops and their phones, their chats, so they can find what happened before the, uh, this murder. Global News reached out to IHIT and the family of Peter Bierman, but no one responded to our requests for an interview. Matharu is now preparing to send his daughter's remains back to India. A very nice nature. She was so beautiful and so friendly and get along with everyone. Julia Foy, Global News. A new initiative has been launched to help keep BC healthcare workers safe on the job. Speaking at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, Health Minister Adrian Dix announced $8.5 million over three years for a new agency that will tackle high rate, the high rate of injury in the industry. Last year alone, claim costs for healthcare workers were more than $107 million. That's an increase of about $11 million over the previous year. The new agency came out of the most recent round of bargaining. It'll include participation from health sector workers, employers, and the ministry. The idea that they would be injured at a rate on average in the healthcare system of twice as much as the general working population, that they would be injured four times as much in areas such as long-term care than the general working population is a sign that things need to change. Musculoskeletal injuries top the list in the healthcare sector, but injuries related to violence are on the rise, and that is deeply, deeply concerning. As the holiday party season ramps up, Vancouver police are pulling no punches when it comes to safe transportation. After a death on a party bus in the city in recent years, new rules are now in effect. And as Kristen Robinson reports, the VPD has slapped one operator with a hefty fine designed to send a strong message. 
The party stopped Friday night when Vancouver police busted a bus carrying 18 minors with booze and no adults during targeted enforcement with the passenger transportation branch. The operator facing $27,000 in fines, $1,500 per underage passenger. I was kind of shocked that it happened that quickly. The crackdown comes amid stricter rules that Julie and Danielle Raymond fought for. 16-year-old Shannon Raymond died from a combination of alcohol and ecstasy in 2008 after a night on a party bus. Operators must now have one adult chaperone for every 15 minors. And as of September, the maximum fine for non-compliance up from $1,500 to $50,000. We're not trying to ruin anyone's business or prevent people from having fun. We just want people to be safe um, and we want the businesses to adhere to the new regulations. Since her sister died, a 16-year-old collapsed and died on a party bus in Surrey, in downtown Vancouver, a 23-year-old woman fell and died after a mechanical malfunction caused a door to open while the bus was rolling. This is crazy. While another party bus caught fire. Operators like Tommy Casito believe in safety, but feel the regulations, including the chaperone passenger ratio, are extreme. The cost of compliance, a 60 to 70% hit to his business. Again, it's, it's one of the two carriers out there that are doing this. And it's and that's uh, in turn is affecting everyone's bottom line um, for the industry. The carrier caught Friday could face a penalty as high as fifty thousand dollars. The province warning: more safety checks are coming. But it's not too late for other families, so they don't have to go through what Danielle and I have been through. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver police closed a section of Yale Town for most of the day following an early morning stabbing that landed one man in hospital. Just before 2.30 this morning, police responded to a call saying a group of men was fighting near the area of Helmican and Hamilton Streets. Four men were suffering stab wounds. One was sent to hospital in serious condition. Police say the investigation is ongoing and the roads have since reopened. An East Kootenai pot shop has caught the attention of the RCMP, not for what they're selling, but for a photo in its window. Pot stores are legally required to keep their windows covered, and Jimmy's Cannabis Shop in Cranbrook is no exception. The business chose historical photos significant to the area, including an image of Sir Sam Steele. Steele was one of Canada's most famous Mounties, known for helping bring law and order to the West, and a legend in Cranbrook. But the pot shop owner says police want, him, want them to remove Steele's picture. I think it's, uh, if anything, I meant it as a tribute uh, to the RCMP uh, history and presence in this area, and specifically Sam Steele uh, and, and, and what he brought uh, to this uh, region. And so I was surprised when I learned that the uniform in particular is of uh, uh, trademark concern to the RCMP. He's one of our town mascots, and I thought it was pretty cool to see. It's not offensive to me at all, I don't think. I thought about like Fort Steele and the Sam Steele parade and it kind of felt like town pride more than anything. Weaver says he's not interested in souring his relationship with the RCMP but says he didn't realize using the image would be a trademark issue and he's waiting to hear back from RCMP on how to proceed. North Island MLA Claire Trevena got an earful from forestry workers in Campbell River on Thursday about job losses and mill closures. There's no time for long-term fixes here. This has to be fixed now. How do, you, how do you help us in the short term right now? 
In short term, by taking back the concerns that you have given me to administer. You guys have more available to you than our concerns, though. You guys can do something. You guys can step in and, and help out right now. Trevena, who is an MLA and also happens to be the transport minister, met with logging contractors to hear their concerns on the impact of the forestry strike on the industry. For more than five months, Western Forest Products and the United Steelworkers Union have been in a labor dispute. Organizers are calling for government action to support resource to support resource jobs. A forestry rally and fundraiser will be held tomorrow at four o'clock across from Trevena's office in Campbell River. It was almost a year ago that the iconic White Rock Pier was ripped apart by a massive storm. And today, those who have helped put it back together are getting a big thank you, including the mayor himself. Mayor Walker, this is for you and your family. Thank you very much. Certificates of appreciation have been handed out to Mayor Daryl Walker and close to 300 other people who paid a thousand bucks each for planks that will make the new walkway. The group Friends of the Pier have so far raised more than $400,000 to help with repairs. The pier was badly damaged December 20th of last year. And people came ahead straight away and said, we've got to rebuild that pier. And we said, we absolutely will, but you have to be a part of it. It is our community. It's White Rock, but it's also South Surrey. It's the peninsula. We made a $2 million commitment to the city, and so we still have more planks to sell. And people who want to uh, join us and be part of that can just go to friendsofthepier.com and all the details are there. The spirit of giving on full display at the Bollywood Banquet Hall in Surrey this afternoon. Scores of young volunteers have been helping out with a massive toy and food drive as part of the fourth annual Sings Doing Things event. Donations will go to support the Surrey Food Bank, hospital and community organizations. Last year, the campaign produced the second biggest donation ever. More than 38,000 pounds of food and diapers. You know, the youth get involved and it's showing something positive about the youth in Surrey. I know there's always so much that's been in the media about youth in Surrey and crime and violence. So we want to promote positivity and all the good work that youth do in Surrey. A well-known and well-loved Nanaimo family has fallen victim to a crime that's become all too common in communities right across the province. This weekend, 71-year-old Judy Gogo came home from work at the family's Christmas tree lot to find her home had been ransacked by thieves. Jordan Armstrong has the story. The Gogo Christmas tree farm is a Nanaimo institution. Everyone here has a good time. Celebrating 90 years in business, the family has a reputation for hard work and tough talk. Whoever's doing it, um, you know, they're obviously worthless scum. They've got uh, no pride. They, 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 um, they, they just don't care. He's talking about the thief or thieves who broke into his 71-year-old mother's home Saturday and ransacked it. It's just such a violation and it's, um, it's just upsetting all around, you know. Just feeling terrible that they've you know, touched everything that you own and thrown it on the floor and stomped on it. After putting in a long day's work at the farm, Judy arrived home to find many of her belongings stolen or destroyed. Beautiful bracelet, lots of um, uh, earrings that were, you know, their native art, and I've gotten them from different collectors, and so a lot of sentimental stuff. The Gogo family says property crime is constant in the city by the sea. Last year, patriarch Mike Gogo put up a reward when his friends were brutalized by an armed home invader. 
I mean, is that a way to end your life with some fool coming in at 3 o'clock in the morning, some drug-addled son of a you-know-what, and hitting him over the head? I don't think so. Today, Mike says that crime did not end well for the perpetrator. And they ended up chained to a bulldozer over at my mill here. I have no idea how he got there, but uh, he does, and he apparently is not saying too much. No word if Nanaimo RCMP have any suspects in Saturday's break-in. Hopefully they find them. That's grinchy. That's awful. Well, it's Christmas time, everybody. Now, David Gogo happens to be an award-winning guitarist. He knows all about the Christmas blues. But he says this crime won't get him down. Whoever the, this idiot or a collection of idiots that, that decided to do this, I'm sure they're so out of their minds on whatever they're on that they don't even know it's Christmas. Well, it's Christmas time, everybody. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Checking into a detox center would leave most people feeling vulnerable, but for a woman in the Shushwab, it's the checking out that became the problem. She says she turned to a facility for help, but as Jules Knox reports, it gave away her personal possessions. I admit I'm powerless over alcohol for sure, but I needed help and they took everything away from me. Jenny Broshite went to detox at the Phoenix Center in Kamloops to get better, handing over her personal belongings at check-in. Two days later, she found out the facility had given her most precious items away. Everything. They gave my personal cell phone, my ID, my credit cards, personal belongings that I had from my mom that I brought in there just to be with me for support. And they gave my life away. Roshite was shocked and worried about identity theft. The situation made worse, she says, because staff waited to notify her. She claims they told her they wanted her to get a good night's sleep first. I'm definitely scared that somebody out there has my identity. The Phoenix Center admitted in an email that Brochite's belongings had been given away because of human error, but wouldn't say whether or not the staff member had been fired. It also said it has completed an internal investigation and improved its systems. There was no compassion at all. None whatsoever. Brochite says the Phoenix Center initially offered her $750 in compensation. That doesn't even cover my cell phone cost, and then they gave me another offer, the final offer of $1,500. Brochite says it's not enough, and she's considering court action against the Phoenix Centre. She says it's heartbreaking that the place that was supposed to help her get better has made her problems worse. People go in there for help, <laughs> not... <laughs> Sorry. She... You go in there and you trust them with your life. And um, I'm pretty devastated. It's been a nightmare. I'm just so worried. Jules Knox, Global News, near Salmon Arm. At least 43 people have been killed in a fire at a garment factory in India. The six-story building is located in a congested residential area with narrow streets making it difficult for emergency vehicles to access. The fire swept through the factory while workers were sleeping. Relatives say many of the victims were migrant workers. Mike Armstrong has more. Ambulances could barely squeeze through to reach the victims. The factory was on a narrow alley set away from the street. Firefighters couldn't get close. They literally had to fight the fire 
from 100 meters away. This fire official says there may still be bodies in the rubble. The fire started at around 4.30 a.m. According to witnesses, flames swept through the fourth floor. Dozens of workers were inside the building sleeping at the time. Laborers in factories like this one are paid as little as $2 a day. They sleep on the premises to save time and money. This witness says the fire started with a short circuit and the victims were asleep at the time. Fires in buildings like this one are common. Building codes aren't respected. A fire in the same neighborhood in February killed 17. One of the reasons so many were killed in this fire may have been access. Some who woke up in the building couldn't escape. There are horrible stories coming from family members outside the morgue. This man says people were calling their loved ones from inside the building, telling them they couldn't get out. Many of the victims were from a state in eastern India. They'd gone to New Delhi for work. Mukhtar Alam's brother was killed in the fire. We are poor people, he says. It's the season for making jackets, so he'd worked there for five months. These things spread very, very fast. Montreal filmmaker Faisal Lachmedio made a documentary on the exploitation of cheap labor in the garment industry. He says it's the drive for the lowest production costs possible that leads to cutting corners when it comes to safety. People accept unsafe working conditions because they're desperate to make a living. In some ways you can't blame them, but it's, uh, it is a, a tragedy waiting to happen. Police are investigating whether the factory was even operating legally. The building's owner is in custody. Mike Armstrong, Global News. A torchlight rally in Hong Kong with some 800,000 people taking to the streets in support of the pro-democracy movement that shows no signs of letting up, chanting fight for freedom and stand with Hong Kong as a sea of protesters wound through the city. They continue to demand democratic elections for Hong Kong's leader and legislature and for a probe of police behavior during seven months of protests. Police banned mass marches as they turned increasingly violent but relented and allowed today's march after a few weeks of relative peace. This is, has already gone beyond the international standard of human rights violation. And this was the scene today in Toronto, a protest downtown to support pro-democracy demonstrators in Hong Kong and urging our government to address what some call China's systemic suppression. A woman who trekked across Canada all the way to Ottawa by foot says she's camping out on Parliament Hill until she can hand deliver a letter to the Prime Minister. As Global's Blake Law reports, she's demanding more action on climate change. And did we mention she's from Alberta? I've got a tarp over it. After months on the road, this is where Tanya Buckner is making her stand. The Calgary woman, who also goes by Anne Cognito, is demanding a meeting with the Prime Minister to deliver a letter. I walked most of the way here from Calgary to raise awareness about the climate crisis. Her journey from Alberta started in April. With just a scooter and a small trailer for her service dog, she trekked across the prairies. When she reached Thunder Bay, the road was too dangerous, and she ride-shared to Toronto. The letter she wants to deliver has three demands. For the government to acknowledge the severity of the climate situation, to reduce carbon emissions to net zero by 2025, and to create assemblies to oversee the changes. So far, she hasn't received a response. They're not terribly interested in this. 
this is a climate emergency. It's an emergency situation, and she feels very strongly that uh, um, she needs to talk to the prime minister and she needs to see some action. In a statement, the Prime Minister's office says young people and Canadians across the country are counting on us for accelerated action on climate change. It goes on to say, we hear them and all the Canadians who sent a clear message this election that continuing to fight climate change needs to be a priority. Um, Buckner has been told she can't stay on the property and RCMP confirmed they are aware of her camp. But after months journeying across the country, she says she's not going anywhere. I'm not leaving. I'm, I'm, I'm not. This matters too much. Blake Law, Global News. Some dramatic video as Australia continues to battle massive wildfires. Temperatures continue to rise to above normal, expected above 40 Celsius by Tuesday. And that increase could cause more flames to spread. There are about 100 fires burning in New South Wales. Only about half of them are contained. More than 2.1 million hectares have been scorched so far. About 1,000 homes have been destroyed and six people have been killed since the fires erupted in September. It is a very different picture in New Zealand. Drone footage captured the flood-ravaged roads from severe thunderstorms. The flooding and landslides have cut off towns. About 1,000 tourists are stranded, some forced to sleep in their cars. And it's not over yet. The government has issued more thunderstorm warnings for the South Island. Heavy rain in San Francisco has caused extreme flooding. Streets, homes, even the subway system is inundated. Forecasters say the majority of the rain fell within one hour. Several trees also came down during the storm. Alignment looking good on the arm. SpaceX's Dragon making a successful landing at the International Space Station. The spacecraft was loaded with 5,700 pounds of cargo when it arrived. Dragon's cargo includes supplies and science equipment for the crew living at the space station. Looks like a California aquarium has taken a cue from the Vancouver Aquarium, kicking off its holiday celebration with a scuba diving Santa Claus. And the special delivery is part of the aquarium's holiday treats for the Animals Festival. It includes a diving Santa, along with some holiday helpers, handing out treats to all the animals. Well, you likely won't know his face, but chances are you or your children loved his famous characters. A beloved member of the Sesame Street neighborhood has died. His big legacy right after the forecast. And Yvonne is back from taking a couple of weeks of well-deserved vacation. <laughs> it was nice and it is nice to be back as well. A few breaks set today if you were out there. It was later on though and we will see more cloud cover this evening but it does brighten up for our work week and I'll show you a few spots in just a moment. A great shot in West Vancouver that was captured from Heather, so there was that break there briefly for the afternoon. Here's a shot of the Christmas market downtown and temperatures this evening sitting at 6. It is mainly cloudy, but it remains dry this evening. We'll have a very similar weather picture approaching tomorrow with some sunshine on the way. Highs today up to 8 degrees. We're above the average. It sits at 6, a record on this day, 13 degrees. And that was set back in 1939. Highs today into the interior, a chilly one, only getting up to minus 8 for the central interior near Prince George. A Soyuz up to 6 in areas along the island for Victoria bumping up to 9. We are seeing a nice ridge of high pressure building in place. That'll be the dominant feature that we follow over the next few days. This is the break that we're anticipating on Monday, and this will 
will be the weather maker that's moving in on Tuesday. The timeline as we put the future cast into place, so a nice bright day through the day, breaking up for the afternoon. The interior will be fantastic. And then on Tuesday, coastal areas will start to see that rain moving in earlier on in the day. And then towards the interior, it'll be late day Tuesday and looking ahead towards Wednesday. For the piece, a very chilly start for the morning. Wind chill sitting at minus six. A few flurries popping up for both Tuesday and Wednesday. White horse, the wind chill at minus 10. The winds are going to ramp up southerly, sustained at 30, and then gusts of up to 50 kilometers per hour. Coastal areas will also see that wind, valleys and inlets up to 50 kilometers per hour. A dry day, and then it's Tuesday, Wednesday. That system moves in, and the heavier rainfall will be on Wednesday. Caribou and central interior fog patches, followed by some sunshine. Most areas near the Columbia and Kootenai, similar. It'll brighten up for the afternoon, a clearing on the way. Dry over the next two days, and the potential on Wednesday evening will be some snowfall and then similar on Thursday. Thompson, Okanagan, a cool one tomorrow. Wind chill for the afternoon at minus 8. A clearing in the cloud cover towards the afternoon. A few flurries could pop up both Tuesday and Wednesday night. Most areas near Whistler, fantastic. Get out and enjoy tomorrow. A few flurries for the morning and then changing over to showers on Tuesday. It'll stay as rain on Wednesday with temperatures above the freezing mark. Areas near the island and the northern and western edge will see more cloud cover through the day. Most areas, it's fog patches, a clearing towards the afternoon. Victoria tomorrow up to 9 degrees. A few showers will pop up on Tuesday. School day forecast for Monday and back to work. By the lunch hour, we'll start to see more breaks. Temperatures will be getting up to 7. Five-day forecast looking pretty good for our Monday. That's the gem out of the forecast, Colleen. And then Tuesday onwards, we do have some showers that are going to start to move in. Temperatures will be mild. That's the silver lining that we'll see, especially for the overnight lows. Chilly over the next little while. Some breaks for tomorrow and then unsettled for our Tuesday onwards. Back to you. All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. A lot of hearts are breaking tonight remembering Carol Spinney, the man who made Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch come alive. The two Sesame Street characters, opposite ends of the human spectrum. Through them, Spinney made children of several generations feel like they had a friend and ally. Sunny day. I'll bet today will be a perfect day he was known for being Bird and Oscar for more than 50 years. Puppeteer Carol Spenny was one of the original voices of Sesame Street. His artistic work helped define the children's show for five decades. Spinney retired just last year. He died today at the age of 85. We've <sighs> all watched say? Sesame Street. We've all, all you know, uh, generations worth of children grew up with Bird and Oscar yeah. and all the other characters. Pretty good legacy to leave behind. Absolutely. Yeah. Treasured. We got a little sports coming up. Do Seahawks uh, have been so good on the road this year. 6-0, and Ashley. Have not lost, but taken on a Rams team tonight that's uh, given them some trouble. So we'll have early highlights of that from Los Angeles. Big day in the NFL. Lots of great games to show you. And... Uh, we got some teddy bear toss coming up. Oh, uh, we do. Yeah, the yeah. fur was flying around. <laughs> As it does every year. said the fur flies. It was raining teddy bears at Rogers Arena this afternoon at the Vancouver Giants game against the Tri-Cities Americans. Fans could either bring or purchase a teddy bear and toss it onto the ice when the Giants scored their first goal of the game. The bears were of course then gathered up and they'll be donated to various children's charities. The Dr. Seuss themes game-worn jerseys, by the way, will be autographed and sold in an online auction with proceeds going to the CKNW Kids Fund. Isn't that mm. 
not <laughs> fabulous. Yeah, they, they uh, were hoping to get over 10,000 fans there. It looked like they had a lot. It's hard to hit the ice from, you know, the 53rd row. So everyone's <laughs> no got to help each other out. It does you throw delay hard. the game a bit. The Giants are leading, actually, 4-1 late. So not only do they get Yay! the teddy bears, but they're, they're going to snap their losing streaks. We'll highlight that at 11. But we're going to start with football. Thanks, Colleen. The uh, Seahawks have uh, certainly made a habit of winning close games this season, whether it be against really bad teams or really good teams. Ugly wins count the same as pretty ones, and Seattle's got 10 of them so far, going for number 11 tonight in primetime on the road in Los Angeles against the Rams. Seahawks, perfect 6-0 on the road this year, only team in the NFL without a road loss. First series, Russell Wilson, little screen pass here to Rashad Penny, who has been excellent the past two weeks, giving Seattle two threats out of the backfield, a 16-yard gain, but Penny injures himself seriously, has not returned. It led to a field goal. Seattle led 3-0, but the Rams' offense has been pretty much unstoppable the first half. Jared Goff to Tyler Higbee down to the three-yard line. And then on the next play, Malcolm Brown charges into the end zone, 7-3 Rams. And on their next possession, they will march the field again. Goff to Robert Woods for the touchdown. That made it 14-3 L.A., and they've just added another touchdown. They're late in the first half, 21-3 Rams. So Seattle's got some rallying to do in the second half. 49ers and Saints, a couple of 10-2 and two teams. San Francisco with another tough test after falling on a late field goal last week in Baltimore. Wild first half. Raheem Mostert, 10-yard touchdown run here, gave San Francisco a 28-27 lead. Plenty more offense to come. Fourth quarter, Jimmy Garoppolo out of the pocket, fires on the run to Kendrick Bourne for the touchdown. 42-33 San Fran, nine minutes to go. But no lead safe in the Superdome with Drew Brees at the helm. He will answer 21 yards here to Michael Thomas for the touchdown. What a throw. That makes it 42-40. Then with a minute to go, Brees and the Saints marching again. Brees with his fifth touchdown pass of the day to Traquan Smith. 46-45 Saints, but time left on the clock. Jimmy Garoppolo needs to convert fourth and two, and he will go to the best tight end in the NFL right now, George Kittle. And look at them trying to take him down. They have to grab him by the face mask. He drew a penalty, like trying to tackle a fridge, a 39-yard gain. That sets up this 30-yarder from Robbie Gold on the final play. He drills it, and the 49ers with an impressive 48-46 win over the Saints. San Fran 11-2. The Saints drop to 10-3. Lions and Vikings, Minnesota looking to inch closer to locking up a wild card spot in the NFC. First quarter, Kirk Cousins to the back of the end zone. Busy Johnson pulls it down. Great catch, 7-0 Minnesota. And then later in the half, Vikings looking for more, and they'll get it. Dalvin Cook to the outside for the touchdown. Vikings taking care of business. Beat the Lions 20-7. Minnesota now improves to 9-4. In the AFC, the 10-2 Ravens at the 9-3 Bills. How good is Buffalo, really? They have a good test today. Third quarter, Lamar Jackson over the middle to Hayden Hurst. And he takes it all the way. 61-yard touchdown. Ravens have a 17-6 lead. In the fourth, Ravens threatening again. And this time, Jackson fakes the run and then zips a strike to Willie Sneed. Great precision throw from Jackson. His third TD pass of the game, 24-9. But Josh Allen and the Bills make it interesting. Allen will find Cole Beasley with seven minutes to go to make it 24-17. 
Final minute, Bills fourth down from the Ravens' 16, a chance to tie it, but Allen's pass to the end zone incomplete, and the Ravens win again their ninth straight. They go to 11-2. The Bills are 9-4. Two more AFC Giants, the Chiefs and Patriots from Foxborough. Patriots offense struggling, just averaging 17 points per game the last three games, but a little flea flicker action here. Tom Brady to Julian Edelman, 37-yard touchdown. 7-0 Patriots, great start. But the Chiefs answer Patrick Mahomes to McColl Hardman makes the grab and then takes it in for the score. A 48-yard pass and run, 10-7 Chiefs. And then later in the second, some trickery from KC. A direct snap to tight end Travis Kelsey. He runs it in for the touchdown. Chiefs would build up a 23-7 lead. Now a controversial play in the fourth quarter as Brady will dump it over to Nikhil Harry, who appears to get around the corner and dive into the end zone for the touchdown. Now the replay shows he was clearly in bounds there, but was he, uh, he was ruled out at the three-yard line, and the Patriots had no challenges left, so they had to settle for a field goal. Chiefs win 23-16, first home loss since October 1st, 2017. Patriots have lost two straight. They're now 10-3. and all right, Steelers and Cards from Phoenix. Pittsburgh has won six of seven since their one and four start. Currently in a wild card spot in the AFC in the first quarter. Deontay Johnson fielding the punt on his own 15. Instant offense, an 85-yard punt return for the touchdown. And the Steelers jump out 10-0 over the Cardinals. What a run the Steelers have made without Ben Roethlisberger most of the year. Devlin uh, Hodges, Hodges to Deontay Johnson for a two-yard TD. And Pittsburgh wins again 23-17. They go to 8-5. and five. Welcome back. The Canucks don't play again until Tuesday when the Maple Leafs visit. It's game four of the Canucks' five-game homestand. So far, they've won two of three, which, according to Meatloaf, ain't bad. Canucks are hanging tough. 34 points. They're in a wild-card spot as of right now. NHL tonight, Sabres and Oilers. McDavid and Eichel went 1-2 in the 2015 NHL entry draft. I think good picks in a good order there. First period already, 1-0 Buffalo. They add to the lead. Johan Larson buries the rebound past Mike Smith. Second period, the Oilers will get one back. Riley Sheehan in alone. Showing some nice hands here. Deking to the 5-hole. It made it 2-1. And then the Oilers tie it late in the second Darnell Nurse with the point shot. Joachim Nygaard with the tip. So some secondary scoring for the Oilers. 2-2 late second with the Sabres. Ducks and Jets. Winnipeg beginning the day two points up on the Canucks for the first wildcard spot. First period. Jets open the scoring. Nice three-way pass play. Finished off by Mark Scheifele. Not many one-time the puck better than Scheifele. That made it 1-0. Second period now 1-1. And it's Adam Lowry. Bit of an awkward release here. Kind of forward in his skates there but manages to get it over John Gibson to make it 2-1 tied at 2 under 5 to go Jets power play and it's Shifley one more time pulling the trigger from the slot his 13th of the year that's the game winner Jets beat the Ducks 3-2 NBA tonight Raptors and 76ers from Philadelphia Toronto trying to snap a mini two game losing skid Philly 11-0 at home the North Philly native Kyle Lowry going to the basket gets the Raptors within 2 but Toronto never really got rolling in this one. Mike Scott will hit the three here. And the 76ers led by 15 at the half, 57-42. 76ers have got some big men who can score. Ben Simmons driving and throwing down the left-handed dunk there. Tobias Harris led Philadelphia with 26, hits the wide-open three here. Raptors have now lost three in a row as they fall 
tonight in Philadelphia, 110-104. English Premiership today, second place Leicester City visiting 17th place Austin Villa, and it was all Foxes. Jamie Vardy continues to have a fantastic season, cuts around the keeper, keeps his poise, puts it away, stretching his EPL goal-scoring streak to eight straight matches, 2-1 Leicester City at half, and then more from Vardy who's a master at getting behind the defenders. That's his 16th of the season. Leicester City win 4-1. They're a solid second. Eight points behind first place Liverpool and now six ahead of third place Manchester City. Here's a look at your snow report for tonight. Whistler Blackcomb with a base of 38 centimeters, 25 for Grouse and 20 for Cypress. Revelstoke with 10 new centimeters, 20 new centimeters for Fernie. Kicking Horse, six new centimeters and a base of 114. Big White with 15 new centimeters, a base of 70. Silver Star with 97 centimeters as a base, and Sun Peaks at 73. White Water, 12 new centimeters, a base of 111, and Powder King with a base of 153. For the first time in the history of the show, Saturday Night Live featured a Canadian Prime Minister in its cold open sketch. Have a look. In a send-up of the conversation caught on camera at the NATO summit earlier this week, this scenario has the world leaders being mean boys in the cafeteria and featuring some NBC late-night hosts. Have a listen. Did you see him speak for 45 minutes the other day? He was just supposed to be for a photo. Well, if I look like him, I try to distract the photographer too. <laughs> yeah, he's not good looking like us three. <laughs> oh, hey guys, is this seat taken? Uh, sorry, actually it is. Uh, yes, we would love to see you talk and chew at the same time, but we promise to see to a friend. Well, I'm Boris's friend, right, Boris? Don't make this harder than it already is, old man. <laughs> I'm hanging out with these guys now. Why don't you sit over there, Donald, with, with Latvia? <laughs> Oh, poor Latvia. Not fair. Not fair. Um, cute stuff by them. Uh, okay, and last but not least, an Edmonton man has some sore arms this morning, but it's all for a great reason. Stephen Schaefer has beaten a world record. He completed, get this, 949 burpees in 60 minutes. But the challenge was much more than just for a title. Schaefer is raising awareness and money for Autism Edmonton. His oldest son was diagnosed with autism at three years old. Barry, how many burpees can you do? Yeah, like... You mean like those? Yeah, like those. No, not belches, but burpees. No. (laughs) We did the math on this. We showed this last night. He did average 16 per minute for an hour. And he was on fumes at the end there. So you can imagine he was going pretty fast from the start. So that's incredible uh, shape and what a great cause. What a great cause. Mm -hmm. Good for him. Good for him. Um, Welcome back. Thank you. Last word on weather. Uh, We are going to see some sunny breaks tomorrow and then a change on the way with some rain returning on our Tuesday. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's nice to have you back. (laughs) Nice to have you back. Thanks for joining us. Jordan's got the news at 11. Take care.